book of Acts, chapter 1. This is the book written by Luke, of course, the Gospel of Luke, and then uh, the second book is the book of Acts. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as many of you probably know, because we hear about it all the time, tonight is the second game in the NBA final between the Toronto Raptors and the Golden State Warriors. With each passing game, history is being made because the Raptors have never been where they are now, never in their history. Incidentally, they are as old as a franchise as this building, 1925. And for those who report on such things, one of the lines that has been coming out of the series is that what is taking place now is something that Raptor fans have been waiting for for 24 years. And I don't know if any of these fans have been sitting at the edge of their seat waiting for this day, but so be it. They're getting it now, what they've been waiting for. Closer to home, if you have to go to the local emergency unit, there is now an online clock telling you how long you will have to wait. And some of us know firsthand what it's like to go there and sit and wait and wait and wait and wait some more. In fact, possible wait times have even become an election issue. When I went along on the seniors' bus trip this past Thursday, 
couldn't help but note the number of times we had to wait. Wait for fellow passengers to get off the bus. Wait for everyone to get on the bus. Wait for the times when the bus would leave, and so forth. Lots of waiting. But the bus driver, he had to wait even more. Sure, his job was to drive us around, but at each place where we disembarked, he would just have to sit and kind of wait till we came back. And then while sitting in the bus and waiting for everyone to get on board, those of us sitting in the back of the bus couldn't help but notice how quickly the air became warm and dense without the air conditioning being on. And that made us want to share some stories about people who have sat waiting in airplanes on tarmac for long periods of time and then they sit there and wait and wait and wait. New rules now about all that, but waiting. Have you ever considered how much time we spend Among the many places we end up waiting are the doctor's office, the school bus, shops, the grocery checkout line, and on the highway when we're caught in traffic jams. Think of it, waiting plays a big part in our lives. And usually in the situations I mentioned, the time spent waiting is not used in a very valuable way. Sure, we may flip through some magazines or spend some time on our electronic devices and so on as we sit in a waiting room in waiting mode are usually not doing much of anything. They're waiting to achieve their goals. Waiting, we've all done it. In various ways and in a variety of circumstances, usually with an assortment of emotions. It can try our patience. It can make us frustrated and angry. But waiting can also be a time of excitement and growing together as a couple awaits the birth of their baby or as they await a marriage. Waiting can be boring or it can become a time of re-evaluating the very issues of life and death as one awaits surgery or medical test results or whatever. Waiting is not always all bad. It has all kinds of benefits for our lives, some of which I've already mentioned. For example, waiting adds order to our lives, among other things. If one were, if no one would wait for traffic lights to change, there'd be chaos on the roads. If everyone disregarded everyone else in a mad dash to get to the cashier in the store, it would be chaos as a pill. Waiting also teaches us a valuable lesson of patience. You know, getting all huffy and bent out of shape because we have to wait for a light to turn green doesn't help the light to turn green any sooner. Actually, responding as some people do when they're waiting for a light to turn green only helps to raise the blood pressure and make people angry. Waiting also has a tendency to slow people down in life. Sometimes in all of our racing around, we fail to notice the world around us and we fail to appreciate other people. Waiting can stop us dead in our tracks and make us look around a little bit. And it also may be good in the sense that it gives us time to reconsider or to reevaluate our decisions or our, our desired goals or our actions. And it's important that we have time to make major decisions in our lives such as who we 
world and in the world, and so forth. Acting impulsively on such matters may lead us to make completely reckless decisions. Well, the Bible speaks about waiting in quite a number of passages. In fact, God's Word makes it clear to us that the whole of the Christian life is basically a life of waiting. Uh, this past Thursday was Ascension Day, as we heard about also this morning. The Ascension is a commemoration of the fact that Jesus bodily left this earth, returned to the Father, and took his place at God's right hand. And now we are waiting for his return to judge the living and the dead. Christians, you could say, are by definition waiting people. But now as we are waiting for the final day to come, we're not supposed to be wasting our time like many people tend to do when they get a waiting list. As we also heard this morning when Pastor John preached on the benefits of the ascension, we're not to drop everything and fiddle around in tops and just kind of stare into the sky. We do not know, of course, when Jesus will come again, but while we wait his return, we're called upon to be busy with the work that he's given us to do so that we'll be fully prepared to meet him. And this evening, we are giving some consideration to a specific period of waiting as recorded by Acts 1, namely the 10-day period between Jesus' ascension and Pentecost. That's the period we're in right now. Sure, once Jesus had ascended, the disciples were waiting for his promised return, but something else had to take place first, and that was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. For a period of 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus appeared on many an occasion as proof of the fact that he was alive again. And now that they had witnessed his being alive, they were commanded to go and tell others. Tell others about what you know as you come across them. The 40-day period following Easter prepared the witnesses and gave them a testimony. A testimony that they were called upon to share with whoever they met and with the nations. In military terms, I suppose we might say that the troops were given their final debriefing before entering battle. They were given the ammunition and the directions that would allow them to declare the word to fight the battle without the general being physically present with his troops. After the 40-day period of preparation, Jesus ascended into heaven. He left his disciples behind, but not before telling them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. As he said in John 14, I will ask of the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. They were to go and wait for the Lord's word to be fulfilled. But during that time, they were not just to go sitting there twiddling their thumbs, bored and on their devices and wondering what to do next, getting agitated like many passengers do waiting for a delayed plane. No, Acts 1 verse 14 tells us they all joined together constantly in prayer. Or as the Revised Standard Version puts it, they devoted themselves to prayer. To prayer. Interesting. Why do Christians need to pray? That's the question the Heidelberg Catechism asks in Lord's Day 45. And it's about to deal with the Lord's Prayer. 
big deal about prayer? What's the significance of what the disciples did? Well, the answer, prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. Take it that way. Also because God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking him for them. Now, those in the upper room after the ascension did not know that in their catechism. But they knew the truth that's found in Luke 11, verse 13, that the Lord grants the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Have you asked for these drawings of the Holy Spirit? So as the disciples waited, they prayed that Jesus' promises would be fulfilled. They prayed for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And for 10 days they prayed and communicated with the Lord. For 10 days they prayed that the Lord would be faithful to his promise. And after 10 days, what happened? They were clothed with power from on high. After 10 days came the feast of the first fruits, or Pentecost. That was the day on which the living power of God flowed through the veins of those who had been prepared and dressed for the task of spreading the good news. Power that the disciples needed to be true witnesses or ambassadors for the Lord was not the power of numbers or of intellect or of military strength, but the power they needed was the power from on high. The ten days of waiting were important for the disciples because it showed them that even though they may have seen Jesus alive again, and even though with the adding of Matthias their number was complete again, even though it looked like they were ready to go. Nonetheless, without waiting for the Lord and his power, they could accomplish nothing. Total surrender to the Lord, a total trust in him was required of the Lord's servants before, servants before they could begin. They had had their seminary training, they had had their factual training, they had had their boot camp where they learned the basics, that's when they lived with Jesus, and now came time for the spiritual retreat. Now came an intense 10-day period of resignation to the will of God. The Apostle Paul experienced the same sort of thing after he was called. He spent three days in blindness in Damascus being prepared for his missionary work. For God alone my soul waits in silence, writes the psalmist in Psalm 62, with the understanding that without total resignation to his will, without a total yielding to his spirit, we're helpless and powerless. Sometimes, maybe even more often than not, as Christians, especially we as first world Christians, as Western Christians, tend to forget that God is our source of power and strength. And so, for example, in terms of our task as a church, namely to preach the gospel, we sometimes have a tendency to place our trust in technology or the latest fads or fancy programs. We may place our trust in charismatic leadership or whatever in order to attract, attract people to join, but those are not the things that empower a believer or a church. Sure, good leadership and well-run programs are important, but unless we're willing to wait on the Lord, like the disciples did, 
And unless we're willing to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we really won't accomplish very much. In fact, when we go our own way, things can only have this tendency to fall apart. Power from on high is essential for our existence as a church. But in order to have such power, we must be on our knees in prayer, fully resigning ourselves to the Lord. And if we were honest with ourselves, we would, I suspect, probably give our church pretty low marks in the prayer department on the whole, that is. The speedboat driver once told about him having survived a racing accident. He said that he had been at near top speed when his boat veered slightly, hit a wave at a dangerous angle, and it did a lot to the larboard force or something you will know what I mean. The combined forces of his speed and size and the angle of the, of the wave sent the boat spinning crazily into the air. He was thrown from the seat and propelled deeply into the water, so deep, in fact, that he had no idea which direction the surface was. He had to fight off panic and wait for the buoyancy of his life vest to begin pulling him up. And once he discovered which way was up, he could swim to the surface. King David, in the context of Psalm 62, found himself in such a, such a situation. Absalom was after him, and the king didn't know at first where to turn. But after some time, he came to his senses. Through the Lord's working, he received God's gentle tugs that put him back on the right track. He knew which way was up again. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. I place my life in his hands. He will rescue me. Think of Jonah. Jonah found himself in much the same sort of situation as the race boat driver. He didn't know which way was up anymore either, even as he sat in the belly of the fish, until he remembered the Lord. Deliverance belongs to the Lord, he declared. The human race, since the fall into sin, basically doesn't know which way is up course, in and of ourselves, there's no way in which we'll ever find the solution to our lost condition. But God, our life vest, if you will, reaches down and gives us tugs through the working of the Holy Spirit, and he directs our attention and our eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. And when our eyes are down, God comes to us and he says, look up to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Look to Jesus. He went before us even to the depths of hell so that we don't have to experience the horrors of punishment. And we're called upon to resign ourselves, to hand ourselves over to him in all things of life. Wait for him. Wait for him in prayer. Rest in the Lord. He will keep you from him alone. Our strength for our task as a church, our strength for daily life, our very salvation, our eternal life depends on him, comes from him. After all, he is the Lord of all. We must trust him for all things, and sometimes that's easier said than done. It's a whole lot easier said than done. But nonetheless, it's what the Lord expects. Total resignation. I surrender all. Prayer from on 
The disciples waited for 10 days. During that time, they learned of their strength, encouragement, power comes from the Lord and from him alone. They learned to rest in the Lord, to place all in his hands. They learned that no matter what happens in the near future, God was there to heal right then. As we prepare now for the celebration of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit next Sunday on Pentecost, it's good for us to ask ourselves the question, where does my strength come from? Where does my trust really lie? Have I prayed for the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life? Have I waited? Oh, rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him, and he will give you your heart's desire. Oh, rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Waiting doesn't need to be a waste of time. Amen. Oh Lord God, make us rest in you. Make us wait in you. We pray, Lord, that we may understand that we are dependent upon you for all things. Pray that we may understand that our strength and our hope come from you, the ascended Lord, the risen King, the one who will come again. And as we are waiting, O oh Lord, we pray that we may not be time wasters, but that our waiting may be waiting of obedience to you and to your will. And we ask, O oh Lord, that in the midst of our life here, that we may understand that we are living for you and to direct our eyes to Jesus. And even though we're not supposed to be looking up at the sky, but sitting there, nonetheless, Lord, help us to look up and to see the broader picture of things and to see Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. To you be the glory. We praise you for your word. And we thank you.